Oh, hello there. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Dave. This is Disco Designs and Interior Design Podcast. Different intro for a different uh, style of show today. I'm going to call this the Changing Room Series. In uh, honor of that fabulous TV show back in the late 90s, early 2000s, Changing Rooms. And what I want to do in these episodes is to isolate in on a singular room within the house and talk about all things that exist within it, the things that you might want to do, things that you probably don't want to do. Because to date, I've been very, very um, uh, narrowly focusing on a single thing, such as we talked about curtains, we talked about um, engineered stone, we've talked about lighting, a whole bunch of different stuff. And I thought maybe just to shake things up, we can have some more general, broad, interior design-focused content. Does that sound like fun? I hope it does. Uh, maybe grab yourself a nice little bevy and or um, pay attention to the car in front of you if you're driving right now. And let's get into the show, shall we? Ah, yeah. I love those little, little zingers in there. So today we're going to talk about the living room. Changing rooms, the living room. How's your living room going for you? Are you in love with your living room? Does it do all the things that you need it to do? Do you find yourself inspired by the space? Do you feel it's maybe a bit lackluster? Well, listen up and let's see if maybe we can unravel some key do's and don'ts inside of your living room. Let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. And that is, what is the purpose of your living room? How many living rooms do you have? Now, in 2023, I would suspect the answer is most likely going to be, for most people, one However, depending on your style of home, the age of the home, you might have more than one living room, or you might have a family room and a lounge room and a this and a that. But consider um, the, the functionality of the space that you're in. So if you do have the pleasure of having a formal living or lounging area, a foyer or reception, and also an informal space, then good for you. Or you might actually have a living room and then maybe you've got a flex space. That's a very of the moment thing, isn't it? Sometimes, especially in two-story houses, it might be the space at the landing on the second level where there's a bit of extra space where you might have an extra um, lounge with maybe a TV, etc., or a space for the kids or just to be able to chill out up there, which is a little bit separate to the living space that might be adjoining your kitchen. And actually, adjoining to your kitchen, that probably brings me on to another really good point is that very often with our increasing love of open plan living, which I am quite a fan of, um, we don't necessarily tend to have such a hard line segregation between kitchen and dining and living. It all tends to be a little bit smushed and blurred together. So when you are considering the living room, it's important to also factor in the uh, the rest of the spaces that might be immediately connected to it. So let's think about the purpose of the living room. Close your eyes, unless you're driving, and visualize your living space right now. What does it look like? Is it in a room of its own? Is it connected to your dining space? How big is it? How high are the ceilings? And let's think about the purpose of this space. This will involve you considering how you live. 
for some people, a living space, so take me, for example, I live with my partner, there's two of us, I do not frequently have guests, our living room is primarily a place for us to sit and relax, to watch a bit of TV, to read a book, to listen to some music, have the record player next to it. That's kind of the main purpose of that living room for us. Don't often have guests, there is additional seating there for them, we could probably seat five people if we had to in the living room quite comfortably but then I have some other little breakout spaces like in my courtyard I've got dining for six outside and then I've got dining for four inside so I've got all these little flexible spaces now for you you might say I've got a beautiful formal dining space uh, sorry formal living space right where I could sit 10 people if I needed to and that's that's the good room as Kath Day Night would call it that's the good room and when people come over, you pull out the corn relish and a box of jats and you all gather around the coffee table and have a good old chinwag and uh, some, some afternoon tea, which sounds delightful to me. And those two examples have very different purposes, right? One is, is a general use area which needs to be a little bit flexible in maybe a smaller space. And the other one is quite... Um, quite purposeful in that it's it's mainly used in formal settings or when you've got large groups of people coming over. Now, why am I carrying on about the purpose of the room? Well, we need to understand the purpose and what it's going to be used for first. So there's no point in if you come to me and say, look, my, um, my partner or my kids are huge gaming fanatics and the living room is historically where they've done all their gaming and I design you a living room that is does not have a TV. That doesn't really work, does it? Or conversely, you go, look, I really want to make this a place. This is my formal lounge room and I, I don't want a TV at all. And I want this to be all really intimate and cozy and really focused on the fireplace. And then I go slap a TV in the middle. It doesn't really work. So you do need to understand exactly what it is that you are designing for and, and the purpose of that space. And that kind of leads on to the next thing, which is once you've figured out what the purpose of the space is, you need to choose a focal point. You need to choose a focal point of your living room. Now, here's a handy hint. It really shouldn't be the TV. For a lot of us, it will be. And I am in the category of an interior designer who hates TVs, but I understand they're a necessary day of a part of life. And my solution to them, usually, my immediate solution is, look, yes, there's so many tricky, fancy things you can do. Uh, yes, you can have projectors and concealed TVs and cabinetry and this and that. Honestly, just buy a Samsung frame TV. They're about double the cost of a basic TV. You know, like TVs aren't that expensive these days. You know, they're going to they're gonna cost you a little bit more. But the fabulous thing about the Samsung frame TV is it is uber uber thin and you can get these interchangeable frames and when it's not being used as a TV it just looks like a piece of art on the wall and for me that is really thoughtful design where I'm not compromising the functionality of the TV I'm not trying to integrate some sort of weird hidden projector system that's all really convoluted it's still just a TV on the wall but uh, when I have guests come over, they'll be like, where's your TV? I'm like, it's right there on the wall. They're like, oh, I thought that was a painting. And you're like, yes, exactly. That's the point. So Samsung frame. If you do have the pleasure of having two separate spaces, by all means, go without a TV in your formal living, uh, your formal living area. Or if you've got something else tricky, you know, go for it. But 
try, try, we'll talk about electronics in a second, so I'm not going to get myself distracted, but try not to make the TV the focal point. I would say for most people, the focal point is probably going to be, especially in a formal living space, is going to be um, creating a space where people can interact. So the focal point is is going to be, I'll give you a clue, it rhymes with guests. Yeah, the answer is guests. So the focal point is going to be the other people in the space. So as a result, you would orient chairs facing towards each other. You want to face them towards each other because that's the focal point. People are coming over for their corn relish and jats. You don't want to be all staring at the wall or staring at the TV. You don't want to be staring at the window. You want to be looking at each other. So that's why we usually get this really formal, symmetrical feeling living room by having couches or so, or occasional chairs facing into the center with a central coffee table or multiple coffee tables or a side table, yeah? So choose your focal point. Other focal points might be a fireplace. You might have a beautiful fireplace. Now in Queensland, we don't have too much call for fireplaces. They exist up here, but we don't have that many of them. So as a result, not many people are going to be having a focal point of a fireplace in Queensland. However, for our southern friends, by all means, knock yourself out. I would too if I had a beautiful, and I've always wanted one of those um, uh, mid-century uh, hanging ones, the ones that are suspended from the ceiling that just kind of sit within the center of the space. Like how fabulous is that? That's what I want for a fireplace. So it might be a fireplace. It might be a view or a vista that you're looking out upon. So it kind of might be a window. However, you probably don't want to face the chairs directly towards there unless that's your thinking space. You're probably still, you're going to want to maintain an, a sight line or an eye line towards that view. And that can be the focal point when you walk into the space, but then you are going to have probably a secondary focus, which is likely going to be chairs facing together. Now, not every space is going to be able to com- to accommodate couches or, or chairs facing each other, right? So often we end up in this little sort of slight L-shaped configuration where you have a primary seating area and then you might have an occasional chair or two off to the side. And that's totally fine. That's totally fine and achieves the result, especially if it's a pretty small space like mine is, a, you know, I've just got an apartment. So um, my occasional chair is, I can just pick it up and move it if I need to. You know what I mean? Same with my coffee tables and my side table, I can just move them. So it gives me flexibility for when I need to, if I need to lie on the floor and stretch whatever after a gym session, then I can do that. And then I can move the coffee table back and it's not a big drama. So flexibility is important too. Once you've got your focal point happening, consider then the layout of the space. Now a good couple of hot tips here. Do not push furniture up against the wall. Do not push furniture up against the wall. Furniture is not meant to be smashed up against the wall. Unless you have a really, really, really small apartment, don't put furniture up against the wall. Even in my apartment, and I think mine is only four meters wide, which I guess in some st- some situations is still quite generous, I have a sideboard, I have a walkway, I have a lounge, then I have space in front of the coffee table before you hit the other side of the room with the TV on it. So try to have walkways. When I bought this bought this apartment and came and saw the people, um, whoever was living before it, they, like, they hadn't moved out, obviously, when um, 
they were doing property inspections, they had these enormous couches which were way too big for the space and they had them pushed up against the walls and it made the space feel so much smaller. And I still have my couch, my main couch can still sit four people in it very easily. And I'm six foot one. Very easily. I can sleep on that lounge so easily. It's really wide. It's actually each, uh, it comes, it's an Ikea couch of all things. And I actually love it so much. It's the perfect shape. It's very linear. So it, it, and it's very streamlined. So it visually doesn't take up a lot of weight. And here we go. We're kind of going onto a little side, sidebars here, but it's all relevant. Visually for my space, I've only got 2,400 high ceiling, so 2.4 meters, which means that I need to be really conscious of the scale of the furniture that I'm putting into it. So this couch works so well because it's actually quite a low couch and the ends of it are quite precise and sharp and geometric and they're not like huge padded out rolling arms that you would have in a very traditional lounge. So as a result, it doesn't, hit my eye line when I walk in the door and it visually doesn't take up a heap of weight, but it is incredibly functional and practical. So it's like a big tick, 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 tick. So the right furniture in the space is absolutely going to uh, impede. If you put the wrong furniture, it's going to impede the usability and your uh, ability to move around the space. So it's important you think about those key pathways when you're walking into the space. So as soon as you open my front door, you immediately hit my lounge room. So it's important. There's a very clear and clutter-free walkway because everyone needs to transit through that space. If your living room is off in a separate room, living space is off in a separate room, then that's a bit of a different scenario. You can kind of be a bit more creative with the actual space planning within it. But you need to allow room around the furniture for people to navigate. You want to avoid people having to walk. If you do have a TV in the space, you do want to avoid people having to walk between the primary viewing area and the TV wherever possible because that just is kind of a good thing to do. You don't really want people traipsing in front of the TV all the time if, if you can avoid it. Sometimes it's not avoidable. So choose your focal point. Choose, uh, think about the scale of the furniture. So let's, let's flip back to that, shall we? Scale of furniture, very, very important. Uh, if you put a, a tiny little lounge into an enormous space, it looks stupid. And if you put a huge lounge into a tiny space, it also looks stupid. So it's about trying to strike the balance. Think about how many people do I need to seat in the space? How many people can I comfortably sit? If it's a formal living area, generally that means that people mightn't know each other as well. So they're going to want a little bit of a, a personal bubble that's a bit bigger than your f- immediate family. You might have no problems rubbing, you know, touching legs with a family member, but for someone who you only know through, I don't know, social bowls, that, why was that the first thing that came to my brain? Um, acapella group, there you go. Someone you know through acapella. I don't know. Whatever social things you're into. Tell me what social things you're into, why don't you? You can always contact me as well by following the links in the uh, episode description. You can also leave me a voice memo if you want to. Anyway, back on track. Think about how many people you need to sit in the space and then think about how many people you can actually fit onto a couch. 
So if it's a three-seater, is it actually a three-seater or is it like a two-seater for people who don't really know each other? Or sometimes they can be a bit more generous the opposite way when it says it's a two-seater, but you're like, oh, actually, I reckon I could fit three people in there. So consider how many, how much seating you need. As a general rule, if you can afford the space, you're going to want a primary couch situation, at least one. Okay, if you've got a, a massive space, you might want two. But as a minimum, you generally want some sort of lounge or couch situation, whether that's got a, a chaise on it or not, or whatever it is, a sectional, a single piece. And then you would want some sort of occasional chair. Something that's comfortable, something that's going to look good, that's going to fit your style. And then that can be used to interface with whoever's sitting on the lounge. Because if people are, if you've got a friend coming over, you usually don't want to be sitting right next to them because you want to be able to see their face. So you want to be able to have seating options that aren't just linear, that, are, that look at each other. Even if we haven't got that really, really formal situation, even in a small space, just having an occasional chair is going to be a good solution, okay? What else is on the to-do list? Um, we need to... So, you, of course, when you're buying the couches and occasional chairs, you need to think about the style that you're going for. What is the aesthetic that you have? Is there an existing style in the space? If so, try and make that furniture sympathetic to it. You don't want it to command attention if it's not meant to command attention. You don't want it to feel out of place either. Okay, So there's all sorts of ways that we can tie that in through the use of color and pattern and the scale of the furniture and things like the, you know, whether you can see the legs or not, the... Um, the type of upholstery, uh, is it uh, pleated, is it whatever it is. All sorts of different things we can think about with the, the actual finish of your couches and seating situations. Still on that actually, probably something to avoid is uh, don't buy matching sets. It seems like it should work because you get oh repetition yeah it's going to you know if i buy the same if i buy the couch and the matching side table that'll work visually it'll work and look it does visually work but you know what else it looks like it looks like you've gone to fantastic furniture and you've bought the whole set and that's not really a designer look so what you really should do is buy things that you don't want to buy the twins of you want to buy the like cousin of so let's say for example you have just bought what's a good example that you that i can sort of relate to here mm. let's say you've bought a beautiful fabric sofa it's got some grays on it you know oh that's boring a gray couch let's do a green velvet couch okay green velvet couch already that's screaming either mid-century or it's screaming like uh, sort of modern design or 70s at me. So what am I going to put with that? Am I going to put a green velvet um, side chair with it? No, I probably want something that's going to slightly contrast it, but it works with it. So maybe something in like a really warm leatherette kind of look. Something that's really, really warm that's almost be like an orange leather kind of look. Yep. 
that would be fantastic. And I'd also have to consider the form to make sure it matches. I don't want a couch that's really, really uh, rectilinear and squared off edges. And then this really billowy circular side chair. Cause they don't, it's like, no, these aren't related. These are just two things you randomly found. So don't buy the matching sets, buy things that look like they can be from the same family, but don't buy exactly the same thing. And that goes for things like coffee tables as well. Don't go buying coffee tables that match side tables, which match sideboards. If you're buying something that's timber, buy one piece that you love. So maybe it's the coffee table. And then you say, I would like a side table as well. And you go somewhere else and try and find something that if it's, if it's timber, for example, I would try and find something that has the same um, stain color. because so that's going to be a really good way. So they, they relate to each other. And maybe have some sort of reference to the shape of it as well. Probably don't want one that's really square, one really round. Although you might, as long as the other elements work together. And they look like they're from the same region of design world, okay? They need to look related in some way, not matchy-matchy. Because you don't want like an inbred living room. Because that's kind of what it looks like. You don't want that. It's not good. Um, speaking of coffee tables... Are they necessary? Yes, I would say you absolutely need a coffee table. They act as a grounding measurement. Now, it doesn't have to be enormous and huge. And you, it could just be a little side table that you kind of drag to the middle. But you want somewhere to be able to put a cup of coffee, to put your cream corn and jats, to put your gherkin dip. Are you liking these references, by the way? These are all the things that my mother used to make or pull out when we had guests over. So, uh, gosh, I love a gherkin dip. Oh, so good. She used to make her own corn relish too. Explains a lot about me, doesn't it? Coffee table, yes. Side table, yes. Have them. They're, they're practical. They're practical. The things I would avoid, just as a blanket rule, avoid glass. Unless it's... And when I say glass, I'm thinking of like like a steel-legged thing with glass on top. They don't really look very good. It's different if you've got some huge slab of marble with a bit of glass on it. That's very different. If it's very designery, but try and, you know, avoid glass is easy for manufacturers. It's cheap, it's cheerful, but it's not really designery. Go for something that's a little bit more fun, that's a bit more elevated than just glass. Underneath that coffee table and that lounge, what do you need? Rhymes with rug. You need a rug. You need a rug. Exceptions to this rule. Yes, there are always going to be exceptions to the rule. If you live in Cairns and it's 36 degrees with a humidity of 98 for 300 days of the year, yes, you can get away without a rug. Maybe. Maybe just find something that's really low profile. But for the majority of us, I would say even if you have carpet most of the time, you're going to want a rug. What does a rug do? It delineates the space. A rug delineates the space. It says, hey, here's the living space. And this is really important when, as I said at the beginning, we're now loving open plan living. And I want to create separation between living, dining, and the kitchen. And I do that through the use of rugs. Now, if you did actually have that situation, living, dining, kitchen, next to each other in that order, you actually could maybe separate them by putting a rug under the dining space instead. So you'd have like nothing in the kitchen, dining uh, rug under the dining table, then nothing in the living space. But as a general rule, rug. 
a few different things with this rug. Do not go and buy the smallest poxiest rug that you find first of all. You need to get a rug that is the correct size for the space. So a rug is something I would either start with if I've fully space planned out my area and I know exactly the, the extremities and limits of the area. So I think my rug is 3.3 by 4 meters is the size of my rug. It sounds big, but it's perfect. It is the perfect size because it fits all of the living room furniture on it, including the lounge and the side table and the, the occasional chair. And it just looks correct. It looks correct. When you walk in my front door and there's a sideboard on one side and there's a walkway immediately in front of you, the back of the lounge is on top of the rug. You can see the edge of the rug. It gives you this very clear space going, please walk here. Here is the space to walk. This is the space for walking upon. And then you go over to the carpeted bit with the rug and you go, this is, this is the living area. This is the lounging space. So it delineates. Size is the number one thing that people get wrong with rugs. So don't mess it up. Check, check, check again. If you've already bought the furniture and you don't have the rug, place all the furniture where you think it's going to live. Then measure it out and buy a rug that fits. They can be expensive, yes, but there are ways to get around it. Either really shopping around, there's some really good rug clearance places where they're just lines that maybe no longer they're selling a lot of. But um, but a rug's a bit of an investment, especially larger ones. If you're really struggling and you've got a palette that is fairly neutral, another handy tip is you can actually get most carpets made into a rug. So if you actually go to a carpet, sh carpet store, a carpet store, a carpet store, if you go to a carpet store and say, hey, look, I'd like a five by four rug, please, made out of this carpet. Can you edge it for me? They'll say, sure. So what they'll do is they'll take it and then the edging of it, they will, I don't know, what's the word? I want to use a sewing term and say overlock the edges, but you know what I mean. They, they'll do the edge profiling. They'll glue it all down so it's all a single piece and go, here's a rug. And, you know, that might be like half the cost of something else you find. But again, you're going to be limited to what sort of carp, what sort of... Um, uh, designs that they're going to have for a carpet, which are traditionally not nearly as exciting as a rug. So that just depends on your design aesthetic and the vibe of the space. So don't forget about the rug. If you can, the gold standard is get all legs of all furniture onto that carpet. If that is unachievable for one reason or another, or you found the perfect carpet, but it's like half a meter too short on one side, then try and at least get the front legs of everything onto the rug. It still looks a bit weird, but it's better than a tiny little postage stamp under the coffee table with this huge void around it. Especially, you go, I'm looking at you Queenslanders, especially if you have a tiled floor. Nobody really wants to put their feet on a cold, hard floor. Even, well, maybe in the middle of winter, in the middle of summer, it's nice to actually lay on cold tiles when it's 40 degrees outside, but you usually want to have something slightly soft and warm to put your feet down on when you're lounging around. So rugs are the way to go. Okay. What else do we need to talk about? Uh, lighting. Lighting. Here you go. Here's another one I'm going to get into. There's so much I could talk about. This is just one aspect of a living room, right? Lighting. You know how I feel about the big lights. We don't turn on the big lights. Do you think I want to be watching 
reruns of X-Files with the big lights on, the overhead lighting, the down lights. Do you, is that what you think I want? Because it's not. It is not what I want. What I want is mood. I want atmosphere. I want dimension. I want elevation. Okay? I, I want layering of light. So ignore the ceiling lights. Let's imagine you are watching The X-Files. Gosh, that was a damn good TV show, wasn't it? Have you watched the new ones as well? There's new X-Files that came out circa 20... Gosh, when was that? 2017? 18? Oh, it wasn't that recent, was it? That was five years ago. You should watch them, though. Very good. You want layering in your lighting. So, unless you have specifically designed some additional accent lighting into your space, such as maybe in your cabinetry for your TV. Maybe you've got an illuminated kick underneath. Maybe you've got some integrated LED profiles in the wall somewhere. Maybe you've got some wall sconces. Then delightful. You've got some dimension to your light. However, if you have none of that and you've just got ceiling lights, never fear. Make lamps your best friend. Lamps your best friend. And there's smart ways you can incorporate this. So here goes another shout out to Ikea, even though I've expressed my discontent often at Ikea. I have their PAX. No, PAX is the wardrobe. Besta. I have their Besta system that I've used for my sideboard. So I've got like five Besta units next to each other to make this one long line. And then right at the very end, they only go up to like um, 60 centimeters high, but then the last one goes all the way up to the ceiling. So it's like a giant L shape. And in that giant L shape one, um, all of them bar one panel are like a white mesh. So you can't really see through them. But what I, what I, why I did that was A, it looked a little bit better than just the plain white fronts on it. But B, I've actually got speakers and subwoofers underneath the TV in those units to fully conceal them. And that would that still allows sound penetration to come through through that grate and that grill, which is mm, pro tip. But all but one on that vertical uprighty full height section is, is the mesh, but one of them is glass. And in that one is like my one little display cabinet. So basically everything in this whole thing is all closed storage bar one. And that's where I've got some like key display books. I've got my crystals in there. I've got a few other little nicky knack things to show him some personality. And I also have the Ikea lighting system in there. So that whole little cube actually lights up. I've got a lot of smart switch smart plug so it all hooks into google so i can you know just tell it to turn it on and it's great so i've got that i've got a couple other lamps around the place so it it creates this atmosphere in front of me behind me and i can dim them and control them all individually so make lamps your best friend whether it's a floor lamp especially if you've got big formal spaces uh maybe it's just a sideboard lamp um maybe if you're going for something a bit more contemporary you could look at some led profiles as well but no big lights big lights so many different things i could talk about here acoustics yeah okay let's touch on technology and i'll try and roll three things into one technology window treatments and acoustics so let's assume for a second that your living space is actually kind of your primary entertainment zone which i feel like is fairly true for a lot of people consider then the technology 
As I said, I love the Samsung frame TVs. Love, love, love because they're very inconspicuous. Samsung, this isn't sponsored by the way. Samsung have actually just thought about this a little bit. They have another product as well called the Serif, which actually has this, uh, it's, the, it's probably the antithesis to the frame. The frame is designed to be this really discreet thing that sits on the wall. The Serif is the opposite of that. It's actually this TV which kind of looks like a, a large e art easel and it sits prominently in the space and it's got this really quite large stand and it's kind of going, Hey, I'm the TV. And they both actually kind of in a way achieve a similar goal of becoming part of the fabric of it. You just need to factor that in as a design element. One's really quiet. One's really bold about it. But I think what looks messy from a technology point of view is when you've got a TV and you've just got a whole lot of stuff around it. You've got, the 5.3 surround sound system with all these speakers everywhere. You've got the gaming consoles. You've got remotes. You've got the DVD collection, which hopefully we're all actually done with and don't have any more. Um, it all just starts to look a bit much. Now, it's okay to have all that stuff. I'd say, so obviously the TV, if you, I'm not saying get rid of your TV and buy a frame, but maybe the next time you go to buy a TV, see what designer options are on the market, like the frame. Audio, consider, I like, visually I like soundbars. Now this is coming from a design point of view. You can get some really good soundbars which perform very well. I think I've got, uh, actually, hilariously enough, a Samsung one, um, which sounds a trillion times better than the TV, of course, but visually it's just this low little flat bar which sits on top of the sideboard and it doesn't really get in the way. It's also easier to keep clean and dust as opposed to I used to have a uh, Logitech sound system before and had like, you know, the 5.3 surround sound. And then, you know, like, yes, it sounds good, but it just visually does not look elevated at all. So consider your technology. Of course, you can go about using um, uh, projectors, etc. cetera. I, I don't love projectors because um, you don't tend to get, unless you've got very good light control, you don't get the depth of blacks, etc. that you'd normally get in a TV. And I just don't think they're worth the hassle and everything else. But it depends on your space. Wherever you can, conceal the cords, cabinetry that has little grommets in it for you to feed cables through and tuck them underneath. That's the delight of the, the frame TV is the whole thing including power and data and everything is powered by a single cable, which you can just recess into the wall. You can just punch it up, little tiny hole. And the rest of it's a single cable, which feeds down to the main box, which is that's what you hide, which has got all of your inputs on it and all your power. So it's, it's really fabulous like that. If you're an audiophile and you love records, for example, we'll do the opposite. There is, when you start to get into some of those you know, mid and high end speakers, they are gorgeous and they're beautiful design statements on their own. Pioneer have got a fully transparent record player at the moment, which I love, but I don't, I'm not going to spend $1,200 on just because of that. But if you have elements like that, which are more elevated than just going down to JB and grabbing, you know, what's on sale, then highlight it. If you've got some amazing bookshelf speakers for your record player or sound system and they're on stands, for example, then feature them. Make that make that a focal point, yeah? It's okay to do that when it's designery and you're going, hey, I love audio. Hey, I love records. 
But back that up. Back that up. If a record, if a sound system is going to be the focal point of your living room, well, hopefully it's the secondary one. The first one is probably going to be the coming together of people, and that is displayed by you kind of facing couches towards each other, or at least in proximity. But then maybe the secondary focus is this record player. Well, then show me the collection as well. Show me the records. Maybe not all of them. Maybe a couple of your favorites. Place where guests can have a bit of a flick flu. Flick flu? They can have a flick flu. They can have a flick through your collection or a few ones that you've curated for them to show how much of a well-learned audiophile you are. And they'll go, oh, this is great. Love this. Love this. Oh, this is cool. Oh, Edith Piaf. Oh, lovely. How lovely. You know what I've been listening to this week? Um, Reba McIntyre. Lights went down in Georgia. There you go. Play that. Hey, Siri. Play Reba McIntyre. Lights went down in Georgia. You can thank me later. Um, make make a focal point of it, yeah? Same if you're an artist or you love art. Make that the focal point. But So try and hire technology if you can. If not, make a focal point of it. If your speakers and your, everything else look really nice, then you can kind of incorporate it into the design. Acoustics and light control. So if it is an entertainment hub, consider do you need better light control? Are you in a western-facing living room where you plan to watch lots of TV or use a projector? Then, by boy oh, you better have some really good blackout drapes in that space because you're never going to be able to see that projector otherwise. Yeah? Consider that that window treatment, mainly from light control, okay? Maybe some thermal absorption, of course. But also then acoustics, if you have, oh, this is, I'll, I'll go on two different tangents with acoustics. So firstly, acoustically, if you've got, uh, if this is your entertainment viewing media room, of course, you'll need to, you'll need to think about the acoustics, um, especially if you have a large space. You don't want sound bouncing everywhere. The number one way you can help with sound absorption is by adding soft things to the space, such as carpets, rugs, fabric couches, pillows, wall paneling, if it's getting really desperate, just soft things. So if you have a living space that's got huge ceilings and you've got stone floor or concrete flooring, you need to soften it up. You need to soften it up by adding in other elements which are going to help to soften it up. Is there anything else I want to talk about? Look, I could go on forever. Think about the purpose of your space. Think about the f- the uh, blah, 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 furniture that you're choosing. Remember, we want cousins, second cousin furniture. We don't want brother and sister co- uh, furniture because that doesn't look very good. We want to consider the space that we're in, make sure we have enough space to move around the furniture, make sure that we're choosing a right focal point. Comfort. Comfort. That's probably one thing I didn't say about couches. This is what I hate about couches so much is you look online and you go, oh, that is the perfect couch. The color, the pattern, the scale, it's beautiful and it's on sale. And then you go into the showroom and you sit on it and you go, this is crap. And my heart breaks when it happens. I am a trendsetter, connoisseur. It's not trendsetter, it's a... um, Strong believer, very strong believer. That couch needs to be really comfortable. 
and this is especially happening with side chairs, actually, occasional chairs. There's so many fabulous looking ones coming out in all sorts of amazing colors and designs and fabrics. And you sit on them and you might as well just be sitting on a rock. And I just go, look, I don't want to, you know, do you hate your guests? Maybe you don't want your guests to stay very long. Then buy the rock chair. Buy the chair that's really, really hard and sucks. But if you like your guests, give them something that is comfortable to sit in, that's plush, they can sink into, but not sink in too, too much. Otherwise, they'll stay for too long. So think about comfort as well. Think about the scale of everything. Think about your technology. Think about your lighting. There's just so much. Look, we're, we're pushing 40 minutes here. I think I better wrap this up because there's just there's too much to talk about, really. But um, as you can see, a living room isn't just something you go to Fantastic and you buy. No, we don't want to do that. Stick around. I'll be right back. Well, if you've made it this far, well done. What are we calling this? Changing rooms. Changing rooms. Living room edition. First little episode done. Maybe I'll do one next week on a different room. Maybe I won't. You will just have to tune in and find out, won't you? Apologize for being away last week. It's just been chaotic. And a uh, quiet little trumpet blowing for myself. I'll toot my own horn. I'm now an award-winning designer. Went to the Kitchen and Bathroom Design Institute um, conference two weekends ago. Took out uh, a winning category for a bathroom design that I did. So if you are looking to work with an award-winning designer, why don't you come up and hit me up one time? You can come along to my website, disco.design, D-I-S-K-O.design, slash contact. And that will take you through to... My contact page, and there's either a form you can fill out at the top or keep scrolling, and there is a calendar there. And what you do is you look at that calendar, you choose a date and a time that works for you. You tell me a little bit about your project. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. You are booked into my calendar, and we will have a discovery session, which is a little 20-minute chat where we will backwards and forwards. You can tell me about what you kind of want to do, and I can tell you what we might be able to do with it, and then we can take it from there and get you a fantastic looking living room. Sound good? Sounds good to me. All right, look until next time. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, if you got something out of it, give us a like, give us a subscribe, send me an email. Hit the, there's a button apparently you can press somewhere to send me a voicemail as well if you want to. But you know, if there's something you want me to talk about, let me know. Until next time, my name is Dave. This is Disco Designs and Interior Design Podcast from your award-winning designer. Have a fantastic week. I hope you're going to go into your living room now and look at the size of the rug. Check out the lighting for me. Yep. Catch you next time. Mm-hmm.